0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell up from the rich man's table Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. And so no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Pastor Bill and I have to uh, come up with the slides that we see for worship, at least some of them anyway, including and especially the sermon slide that you see before you now. And usually about a week and a half before, so oftentimes we get just a sort of an initial reading of the gospel and then choose what the visual will be. So at an initial reading of our text for today, I came to slides, I was sort of drawn to slides of darkness and fire and gloom, as kind of the feeling might be upon you after our gospel reading today. Maybe that's a signal to me that I am a rich man. And certainly by the world's standards, I am. And clearly here, it's very easy conclusion. The rich are bound for hell, the poor for heaven. Sermon done, I renounce my calling and await my suffering. But before I do, I got one last chance. So let's back up and gather the context of our gospel for today. Now last week's parable, the parable of the, that steward who was kind of wheeling and dealing so that he would, um, once he got fired because of, of the cheating that he had done, he would get hired by others because he had made a good name with them. So he was wheeling and dealing him, giving them good deals for his master. Um, At the end of that, we heard these words, you cannot serve God and wealth. And in our second reading for today, you heard something very similar in that as well. This theme has been coming up quite a bit. And in between last week and this week, last week's parable was mainly targeted at Jesus' disciples and kind of how they work through this world But but once again, the Pharisees kind of come on the scene, and they still don't like what Jesus is saying. So in between last week's parable and this week's parable, just to set a little context, we get these words. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all of this, and they ridiculed Jesus. So he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. So it's in kind of that context that Jesus tells this parable. And it, he really gives this kind of targeted and sort of deadly arrow to this misconception that's going around that material wealth means you are blessed, blessed by God particularly, and that poverty and hardship means that you are being punished by God. You've sinned against God in some way, and you must be receiving this punishment because of it. Money and how it is used, wealth and its temptation, it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, issue in the Scriptures. Now, really, what's at issue, why it's brought up so many times, I think, I think money is mentioned, and, and the stewardship of money is mentioned something like 500 times in the Scriptures. Uh, it's, it's mentioned more than love or faith. <laughs> but it's mentioned because what's at issue here is worship. Where are we putting our trust? The question came through this, the song, the special music last week. Who or what are we going to serve? Because you've got to serve somebody. Or you've got to serve something. Luther says everybody has a God. Hopefully it's the large G, the one true God, but we all have gods that we worship, things that we put first or at the center of our lives. Sometimes it's ourselves or it's others or it's money or whatever it might be. As we saw in the children's sermon on our money, it says, in God we trust, and maybe under that, in parentheses, it could say, and by the way, this money too comes from God and it belongs to God. You're just a steward of it. And yet even with these words in God we trust, money continues to be a chief object of worship and a great temptation to be drawn away from the true riches of God's word. Well, that word, capital W, that word made flesh in Christ, takes aim right away in the parable, telling yet another rich man's story. This is the second in this series that we've had from chapter 15 unto 16 and now coming into 17 as well. The reversal is really immediate as Jesus introduces these characters, and it is the poor man who is named. Now, we know names are important, and we know names signal worth. When someone's telling a story and they name someone, that means that we pay attention to the character. But but his name, this name, Lazarus, actually means blessed by God. Lazarus, probably the most destitute character in any parable ever told, by Jesus is named by Jesus, and he's called blessed. Jesus flips the expectation of his day just by doing this, just by this naming, and, and frankly, he probably flips the expectations in our day as well. And I really love this part of the, of the parable because it reminds me of something that I had to learn, a lesson I had to learn in my first call in South Tacoma. Because we had a lot of folks that would drop in and ask for help. And sometimes their stories were pretty tragic and sometimes they were pretty unbelievable. And oftentimes we would, we would kind of keep a little bit of spare cash and try to give a little bit of help or put a few bucks in the gas tank. It would be a gallon today. But, but we'd try to put a few gallons in or something like that. And it was interesting because we, we rarely got much of a thank you for those kinds of things. But as our funds became leaner, and we often had nothing to give out, I started the practice of kind of asking people in for a minute and especially asking them their name, shaking their hand or, s- some cases, if it was appropriate, giving them a hug, but giving them some time to talk and actually say who they were and respond to that. And what was interesting was this proved actually much of much more value than the $5 or $10 or whatever we had heartfelt thanks and connection but this is not the case in the parable certainly it is for Jesus naming Lazarus but it is not the case for the rich man clearly he's aware of Lazarus's presence but there is no interaction what there is is decadence feasting every single day in expensive robes Purple robes were very expensive, and it says that he even kind of gives the picture that he's even wearing like down to silk underwear kind of a thing. It's wildly lavish, all the while ignoring Lazarus at the gate. Now, there was an expectation in Jesus' day to at least give some alms or some food, some leftovers, something to the poor at the gate. And there were even benches outside of the homes of the rich in order, uh, you know, kind of just for that purpose. But nothing comes, ever. You see, the first chasm that we encounter here is actually a choice by the rich man to set himself apart from the need of the world and the need of his immediate community and neighbor. It is not so much his wealth, but his arrogance, his self-righteous importance that seems to be his undoing. And you can see Jesus as he's telling this part, kind of staring right at the Pharisees as he tells this story. And you can see Jesus even today staring right into the chasms that our decadence creates between the modern day blessed and the modern day cursed. Those words in between these parables ring for me once again. What is prized by humans is an abomination to God. Those are words that speak right. From Jesus to my selfish heart. Well, now the scene turns to the darkness that kind of inspired this slide today. As Lazarus, whose death is surely not much of an event on earth, is carried away by the angels into the bosom of Abraham, intimately held and cared for by God. This man, whose only friends were the dogs who gave some relief to his wounds, is now held by Abraham himself. It's a rich image, and yet the rich on earth, the rich man, still nameless for us, but certainly having an ornate funeral at his death, finds himself after that death in a place of torment. Now this scene, once again, is not just a simple, well, the rich go to hell and the poor go to heaven. That's not the conclusion here, but rather pulls a reversal once again on the audience and perhaps on us as well. Remember, the Pharisees aren't getting it even though Jesus is telling parable after parable after parable. So Jesus takes it to the extreme as if to say, look, you're getting it wrong to the point of eternity. Will this finally convince you? Because the Pharisees continue to be unconvinced. And even it sounds, so does the rich man. He kind of acts as a model in this, in this, for the Pharisees. He carries that chasm that he's set up between himself and Lazarus and others around him. He carries that chasm into the next life. He never says anything about what he has done wrong, never confesses any of that or names it. But instead, he even seeks to have Lazarus be his servant in the afterlife, to to dip his finger in the water and cool his tongue, even to be his family's servant, to go back from the dead from this place of comfort that he finally has to go back to the world of torment and to speak to his brothers and his family. I'm not really sure whether this chasm that we hear about is of God's creation or if it's a creation of the rich man's. I heard a pastor one time, it's made me think, I'm not sure I agreed with all she was saying, but she said, you know, God doesn't send us to hell. We create that for ourselves. So where is the grace here? Whew. Is this just a warning that we better be better or else? Well, I think it's interesting, one kind of point of grace in here that, that caught me off guard a little bit, it's interesting that when Abraham speaks to the rich man, he calls him a child. He calls him a son, and that, the, language, or the word for that in Greek is not just like a kid over there, some, you know, just this kid, but it's, it's a... It's a family word for child. In other words, even in that moment, Abraham still speaks, and Jesus still speaks to us and to the Pharisees as, as a child, still in that familial language, as if Jesus is still trying to reach the Pharisees, still trying to reach out in love to those selfish hearts. Now, of course, what is the gospel here? We could jump to the cross. We could say, well, there's a chasm that separates the rich man from God, but Jesus is the bridge in his, in his death and resurrection that bridges that chasm. And we wouldn't be wrong, but the risk there may be to gloss over what I think is really key in this parable. First, as Rabbi Heschel teaches, God is not indifferent to evil. In a world that often questions God's presence in the midst of suffering, that is an important takeaway for all of us. It's an important takeaway, too, for those who do suffer. God is not sitting up in some heavenly banquet detached from the cares of the world. And God is also calling us to engage in the world likewise. God is truly present with us, naming and lifting those in need. While the parable in our ears might seem like it is focused on the afterlife, it's actually pointing to a very pragmatic, very practical understanding of how this kingdom of God reality Christ is leading us into is very much a reality to be lived out in this life. The stirring or disturbing vision of separation in the afterlife is simply a visual hammer to kind of hammer home the fact that God's care and concern for the economic just injustices of our present day are very much real. And perhaps the chill I feel at hearing this parable is a reminder once again of how I often turn away from seeing what I have as a gift that belongs to God, a gift requiring my generosity toward a more equitable and merciful world for those who are at my gates and beyond. But even more than a requirement, it is the gospel, it is an invitation. Just as Lazarus is named, so the rich man is called a child. We are invited to engage, to know, to accompany, to name, to stand up for, and to include those who struggle, those who are on the outside, those who are forgotten or feel they are not worthy. For we have a promise and we have a gift to steward. We know the end of the story and it comes out right And we have the opportunity to show our neighbor the generosity and equality and equity that that brings even today where the chasms between us are bridged in small and large ways. They bring a hint of the great chasm Christ has destroyed so that we may have peace with God and that we may have true fellowship with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.